0: hello and welcome back to manifest destiny i'm your host blair and i'm your
1: percocet riddled host rebecca
0: so we've got quite an episode for you guys today oh it's been a week i mean it's it's I had a terrible week, too, but, like, not for interesting reasons. Um, Rebecca, I'm going to let you take it away and tell us why you're talking to us from a drug-addled state.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a sad, short story. I went skiing Wednesday night, reliving my youth as a young, carefree skier.
0: I don't remember that youth, Rebecca. (laughs) I mean,
1: I didn't – I wasn't ever a very serious skier. Blair was. I certainly wasn't. But I dabbled. I liked a little skiing here and there. I could get down – get from A to B, get down the mountain, you know. All good. So I went skiing Wednesday night, completely sober. The last time I went skiing as an adult, I was wasted, but I was dead-ass sober. That's really
0: dangerous, Rebecca.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, like, it wasn't dangerous drunkenly, but it certainly proved dangerous sober. So I uh, took three runs, and all on, like, the green trails was feeling good. Everyone was remarking that I had really nice technique. Everyone's like, you're looking great. What a skier. What an athlete. Just a specimen. I was feeling my oats, and then I decide. Well, I didn't decide this. I will blame the men that were with me. Classic. They decided they blame wanted a to white go down. man like a white man. the Nor'easter, which Nor'easter, this is our like local ski mountain. Nor'easter is the run that I always like didn't like as a kid. I always considered it my nemesis. I, it's actually get, like,
0: my favorite run other than Gun Barrel. Oof,
1: I hate it. Hate it. I always think it's like sneakily icy, which it turned out to be. It is.
0: That's why it's called Nor'easter, Rebecca. It's yeah, not called well, that for Bad no ideas
1: all around. So I got like halfway down Nor'easter, and I, it, it was like the conditions were such that there was like soft snow on top of ice. So I was trying to stay in the soft snow, but it, like this was a deceptive patch. It was like just complete ice underneath. So I hit that, and then because they've been blowing snow onto the trails, but we've like most of the snow, like the natural snow, has melted. There was a big drop off between the trail and the mm-hmm. woods, so like, like where it
0: merges in th- into the main trail.
1: No, it was like, actually the skinniest part of Nor'easter. It was like that mm-hmm. second big drop that gets pretty oh narrow. Oh my gosh!
0: Yes, I know. I know. My friend Evan in high school went off the trail there and completely like bone sticking out. It won't get into it, but like also, but this- that's
1: literally what happened to me. So I like, I my skis hit the edge of this embankment as I tried to turn. <gasps> And because it was such a sharp drop, I went down the drop. And then I picked up a lot more speed going down the drop. And then I hit a tree.
0: You're lucky to be alive, though, that it was just your collarbone.
1: I mean, no fucking kidding. When that tree came out of me, I was like, this is it. This is how it <gasps> all she go." Sh- I've,
0: never, I've never I've seen the business end of a tree. <laughs> like, while well, like, going 40 miles an hour. It wasn't even like, a fucking very <laughs>
1: big tree. But it was, like, big enough. And big I was, of enough. course, like, I have to say, like... It's very important context. I looked like an idiot. I was wearing a bicycle helmet cuz I couldn't find my ski helmet.
0: Okay. I was wearing a Oh my god. Are you wearing an neon helmet?
1: yellow ski jacket? Like I couldn't have looked stupider if I'd been like setting out to look like an idiot. Oh. So, oh I god. hit the tree with my head, my collarbone and my knee.
0: Thank and, God you had that bike helmet
1: on. <laughs> I mean, thank God for the bike helmet. And I immediately heard a sound that d- did not sound like a good sound. Um, oh,
0: God. Ugh.
1: So then I laid down, and Stephen, thank God, my boyfriend was behind me. Because um, if the, he – I was like, we were the last two in the group we were skiing with, and if I had been the last one, I don't know how anyone would have found me because I, like, was significantly off the trail where I hit the tree.
0: Well, they would have noticed you were not Yeah, there.
1: I mean, and I had my phone on me, so I would have called. So mm-hmm. that was all fine, but – yeah, I the ski patrol came. I had to get like finessed out of this hole I was in, and wow, 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 wow! They had to bring me down in the sleigh. It was all very embarrassing.
0: I used to pretend to get hurt all the time when I was a kid, just so I could go in the sleigh.
1: That is the least surprising thing <laughs> I've ever heard. In my <laughs> it life.
0: really tracks. You get attention and a sleigh ride. What more could a young Blair I mean, want? It would have been super
1: fun if I wasn't like in terrible pain. But the big takeaway here is adrenaline is a hell of a drug because I. And I'm, like, quite hypochondriacal and dramatic as a person generally. Mm-hmm. But I was so amped up on the adrenaline. I was laughing. I was cracking jokes. I didn't cry. I didn't scream. Wow. To the point where they all thought that I was kind of just, like, maybe had bruised myself. So then I went to the ER, and that doctor <laughs> was kind of like, yeah, like, you seem fine, so I'm sure you just, like, have a really bad bruise, but we'll do x-rays and then the x-rays came back and my clavicle is in three different parts. Oh
0: my god,
1: that's so scary. So it's like a complete compound fracture. It's in a Z formation and you can like see it now. Like the bone is like sticking up. It's just not good. Like if you're squeamish,
0: okay, okay. it's too late. We might have we might have we might have listeners who are faint of heart. We manifestors. we're not faint of heart about taking what's ours. <laughs> but you might not want to know about snapped in two to three clavicles. But wait, but yeah. so what so so just briefly, like what is the rehab like how long are you gonna be out of commish?
1: I gotta get surgery next week. <gasps>
0: Oh my god Imagine yeah. the drugs are going to be on next week when we record. I
1: mean can you imagine So I'm getting surgery this time one week from today So manifest my positive recovery my
0: okay, god we'll, we'll be doing that But I mean I'm, I'm really good at manifesting Like medical stuff So don't worry oh, I'm like to. honestly
1: glad I'm getting surgery Because apparently the rehab or something like this If you don't is like literally eight weeks in a sling minimum And then you have just like a deformed shoulder For the rest of your life So okay. like okay. I'm ready for my plates and screws
0: Bring it on modern medicine in. yeah i so, love that and also screw that mountain a wild time yeah. but yeah I mean. and
1: just a disclaimer for the rest of this episode i am on a lot of Percocet, so this okay. is gonna be interesting
0: another disclaimer that's you know, it's equally important, but a lot weirder, is that instead of drinking wine right now, I'm drinking tequila soda. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so this is going to be a fun one. So I don't know how that's going to affect the episode Rebecca's on Percocet. I'm drinking hard liquor at 4 p.m. Um, so I'm go glad you way. are, because
1: I didn't want to be, like, way more messed up
0: than you are oh no you you never have to worry about that with me Yeah, I will. you're a good friend you're a, really I'm a good, good friend, friend. I, I will that. i meet people on their levels um yeah so i am super excited for my topic but rebecca i hear you have something grand to share with us
1: i mean i don't know if i'd describe it as that but i will try i will do my my damn best for you manifestors so i'm going to tell you today about dorothea Dix who was born on April 4th, 1802. What's the birthday?
0: Aries. I feel like we talk about so many Aries. And like I said before, Aries really moved the wheel of history because they are like the first sign. They're the signs of beginnings and of initiation. Um, They're super passionate. Like a lot of really great entrepreneurs are Aries. Um, I I didn't realize
1: that Aries was the first sign of the zodiac. Is that for like solstice reasons?
0: Um, Yeah, so it starts after the spring equinox. Okay. Which is technically, like, the beginning of the year. So, yeah. So, it's actually – it is interesting. A lot of people think that, like, Capricorn is the first sign. That's – that's okay. And here's a tip to all the manifestors. If you're reading an astrology source or, like, a horoscope and they have Capricorn first because
1: – Then it's bogus.
0: Then it's bogus. And, you know, those people actually have no idea what they're talking about. Yes. So, Aries is the first sign and um and so they're very nurturing but only when they're in control as i always say they're great moms um they're great leaders just in general they are uh, and also like love to party like fi- all fire signs love to get fucked up and be the center of attention so that's that's just the energy i'm bringing to it and I don't know, and I should preface by saying I literally know nothing about Dorothea Dix. I literally just see her mind in that PTSD from APUS way, and I just see Dorothea Dix reform, like, giant reform in big letters, all caps in some notebook that I have already lost.
1: I mean, that's literally all you need to know. So (laughs) we can just spend this idea here, and I can go back to bed.
0: Like, that would be fun. (laughs) The people demand details.
1: Uh, So she was born in Hampton, Maine, but mm. ended up growing up in Worcester where I went to college. Shout out to the Woo. Oh my so God. she was like maybe a Maynard of birth, but like a Woo Rat by heart. And Becca, I, I don't say know if woo you rat. can
0: say Woo Rat.
1: <laughs> oh, you absolutely can. The one girl I knew from Worcester, her like screen name was Woo Rat something. Like the, the Woos love the fact that they're called Woo Rats, but you can't say it unless you've like spent some time in Worcester. So okay. I can say it, but you can't.
0: If you're listening from Worcester, Massachusetts, let us know if you think it's okay or socially <laughs> acceptable for Rebecca to say Woo Rat is someone that spent four years as a privileged undergrad. I also
1: lived there. Dabbling I, I on I lived campus. off campus lived? for, like, several summers. So All right. it's fine. All right. Well, but, like, truly well, come for me. I would, I would appreciate getting in. in a vigorous debate about who and who cannot say Woo Rat.
0: hmm Me too. Okay.
1: We're off to a great start.
0: Yes. So, there's not much
1: that's known about Dorothea's childhood. However, it's like commonly suggested that her parents were both alcoholics. Classic. And her father, who was a traveling <laughs> Methodist preacher and bookseller, was like definitely a bad dude and pretty abusive. In what way? So, I mean, abusive. Yeah. Like in, in the like classic in the sense. like
0: in way or like a sexual way?
1: I don't think sexual but I mean, again, there's little known about her childhood and this is all sort of like conjecture.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, I would assume... Physically and not sexually, but you just never know. But he I was bad I feel like Methodists
0: guy. are very angry people. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah that's, not that's a, that's a takeaway Methodist. here. Not Methodist. The Methodists are uh-huh. not pleased. Yes, yeah. for sure. So at age
1: 12, Dorothea and her two younger brothers moved to Boston to live with their grandmother, Dorothea Lind, who was just like another rich, iconic grandmother who whisked these children out of their abusive household and gave them a better life. So shout out to Dorothea Lind, a real yes. one.
0: okay, okay.
1: And then at the tender age of 14, Dorothea began teaching at an all-girls school in Worcester and, like, developed her entire own curriculum that was, like, emphasizing natural sciences and ethical living. So at, like, literal 14, this girl is teaching other children that are probably about her same age and developing her own curriculum. And then by 1821, she opened her own school in Boston, and that was mostly attended by rich kids, and she, like, Felt kind of weird about that. So then she started mm-hmm. also teaching poor kids out of her grandmother's barn. So she had, like, the the okay. actual school for rich kids and the barn for
0: the poor so kids. she was Just pulling double duty?
1: Double duty. Like Do you a think that dream. she
0: saved her best, her realist lessons for the poor kids? Oh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was, like, a freedom writer situation. Like, she right. was rapping Shakespeare. <laughs> she was doing it all.
1: I mean, essentially, yes. I mean, she also, like, like any figure from the 1700s was, like, not all good. Like mm-hmm. she definitely held some beliefs so that were less than favorable, but we'll get into it. Mm-hmm.
0: So from 1824
1: to 1831, she published a bunch of books. These were mostly children's stories, but some of them were these devotional books because she was also a Methodist. She did not like Catholics. She was very anti-Catholic. So she wrote some books. The books were well received, but then she suffered. Wait, from but a the books
0: were devotionals? Methodist they, devotional. There were
1: two classes of books. Like she had books for children. Oh, okay. um,
0: oh, and okay. those
1: were like, I'm just trying to find the books again. Uh, the most popular devotional book was something called Conversations with Common Things. Ooh. And by 1869, it had reached 60 editions.
0: That's a great title.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of her book titles are great. One is called The Garland of Flora.
0: Um,
1: there's one called Private Hours. Ooh. Alice and Ruth. And then prisons and prison discipline. We'll get into it. I
0: feel like people that write children's books are the ultimate scammers, and like, oh yeah, uh, because they're so expensive to make. And like, most of the time, people that write children's books aren't even the ones illustrating it, which is like obviously the hard part. So like, right. hit me up if you have a connection. Like, it's I don't know how you get that job, but it seems very easy to write a morality tale.
1: Should the Manifest Destiny Production Company start churning out? history books I don't for know children. because
0: I already have a really, later in this episode you'll get to hear our, our newest production idea. Oh my god, so yes. excited. Yes. Go this on. just
1: could be another arm of this production the, yeah, house. I think gonna be getting into children's arms. lit mm-hmm. could be lit. Okay, so while all this is happening, Dorothea is suffering from some sort of depressive disorder um, that basically like reached a fever pitch in the late 1820s and she ended up having to relinquish the school that she'd founded in Boston. So she started working as a governess on Beacon Hill for a wealthy family, and while she was working for them, they traveled to St. Croix, where she, like, was witnessing slavery for the first time, oh, firsthand. I love St. Croix. You're so bougie.
0: No, I'm... Um, <laughs> I just... It's really cold right now. I yeah. like to think about St. You're literally Croix.
1: just in Florida. Nobody has any sympathy for you.
0: Some people do. Reach out. DMs. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, she witnessed slavery. It didn't necessarily, like, make her sympathetic towards abolitionism. She was just sort of like, eh, about the whole thing. So that's where, you know, she's sort of toxic. But she ends up siding with the Union eventually. But at this tender, young, racist age, she was not so down for the cause. Then in 18... Oh, I take it back. I've gotten ahead of myself. Yeah, so she has this breakdown around, like, 1836.
0: When you say breakdown... You're saying depressive, so it's it's just like she can't get out of bed, she's super sad type we of thing. We don't have language it more... for it
1: back then, so yeah. it's like really difficult to say what exactly was going on. And uh-huh. even, like I read a couple articles about her, and some of them don't even mention the mental health illness, they just say she was sick, she was unwell.
0: Uh, unwell. Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's just like catch one of those all like catch-all, like she's
1: unwell, there's something not quite right with her. But mm-hmm. it does seem, from some of the research I've done, that this was a depressive disorder and not like... She was just sickly. She definitely had some sort of mental health thing going on. Okay. But again, the language around this just wasn't there. So it's very difficult to figure out what exactly she was suffering from. But uh, another big clue is that her doctors advised her to go to Europe for her illness, which is like a classic doctor thing for depression. Like, you just (laughs) need to go to Europe. Like, just go sit on the beach in Europe. You'll be fine.
0: Nothing says suicidal in the 1800s like a trip to Europe.
1: Pretty much. So she goes off to Europe. As one does when you're mentally unwell. Off to the continent. And while she was traveling in Europe trying to improve her health, she met with this group of reformers, and they started changing the way that mentally ill people were cared for. And Dorothea was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like, I'm one of these people. Like, I'm down for this cause. So she ended up meeting this family called the Rathbone family who were very rich, and Mm -hmm. they invited her. Why does that
0: last name sound so familiar? Are they, like, famous for something else?
1: they're they're just like a famous european family that put a lot of money into social reform causes they were quakers um and you know the quakers were always down for reform so basically the ratbones invite dorothea to their ancestral mansion in liverpool and i think there's just something delightfully ironic about your ancestral mansion being in liverpool because liverpool (laughs) is just gross home of the beatles home of the beatles but like even the beatles are like oh liverpool it's not the best (laughs) Um, yeah, so this group of reformers introduced her to this idea of, like, the government playing an active direct role in social welfare, and she visited a lot of care facilities for the mentally ill in Great Britain, and at the time that was called lunacy reform. So while she was staying with the Rathbones and she was kind of, like, getting woke to the idea of mental health care, her grandmother died and left her this... Enormous estate, along with all of her royalties. So suddenly Dorothea is rich as hell.
0: Mailbox money, baby.
1: Loved it. She's like, all right, I can live comfortably the rest of my life. I don't really have to work. I don't have to get married. I'm just going to do shit, which is what she did. So she returned to the U.S. in 1840 and started this year-long investigation into the mental health hospitals in Massachusetts. Um, She also spent a lot of time in prisons, specifically a female uh, prison in East Cambridge, and when she was at this prison she encountered a mental
0: health prison
1: well no she started looking into mental health facilities in massachusetts but part of that work she also was looking into prisons seeing if there was reform that could be done there Mm -hmm. and she discovered that there were a lot of mentally ill people that were just being put in jail as like a Mm catch-all and so she says that the cells were quote dark and bare and all the air was stagnant and foul and she described how the individuals were labeled as quote loony poppers (laughs) <laughs> and they were being locked up with, like, actual criminals and yes. receiving all this treatment that is inhumane. So she was like, yeah, this is not the place for people that are unwell. We shouldn't be sending them to prison. So she ends up publishing her, the results of her investigation in a report to the Massachusetts state Legislature, And she says, quote, I proceed, gentlemen, briefly to call your attention to the present state of insane persons confined within this commonwealth in cages, stalls, pens, chained, naked, beaten with rods and lashed into obedience, and everyone's like, wow, 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 that's good to know, Dorothea. Like, sounds bad. We don't love that. So <laughs> her lobbying resulted in this bill, which basically expanded the state's mental hospitals in Worcester specifically. They, she lobbied to have a, a new mental health facility built there. So in 1844, she went on and conducted a similar investigation into the counties and jails and almshouses houses uh, of New Jersey And presented a similar report to the New Jersey state legislature, giving an account of all of the mistreatment she found. And in 1845, uh, New Jersey passed a bill for the establishment of their first state asylum. She then goes to New Hampshire, down to Louisiana, basically all over the country, Illinois, documenting the conditions uh, of the mentally ill, how they're treated, and making reports to the state legislatures, and working with committees to draft the legislation and appropriations that these bills needed to start founding more institutions that were specifically constructed for the treatment of those mentally unwell individuals in the u.s of which
0: i am one (laughs) i am another (laughs) (laughs) wow i was kind of thinking i didn't know she's a mental health reformer i always thought she was more like a you know, like, a maybe, like, a ladies' shelter type of gal? No.
1: No, she was very much, like... And this is why, like, I think it's crazy that some of these articles are, like, sort of covering up the fact that she herself was mentally unwell. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, she was on a trajectory where she could have ended up in one of these places, but she was rich. Uh-huh. And...
0: For Dr. Senator,
1: you're up instead of prison. I mean, it's a classic privilege issue.
0: The important thing to succeed, and I cannot stress this enough, is to have a trust fund.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah,
0: I I was just watching. Oh, my God. This will be my my recommendation for the week. But Fran Lebowitz um, has this amazing documentary on... Netflix right now and Martin Scorsese oh yeah I directed heard it and interviewed her and she's like the ultimate New Yorker like she just says like the like and she's just like a very witty like critic slash writer and like good friends with Martin Scorsese so they have all these little conversations that are so cute but and it's a lot of it's about New York and different stuff so if you are well, um, right up your alley um yeah, if you're so, not
1: sick of hearing Blair talk about New York. If you watch want this someone you else talking m- about New that's York that's
0: smarter than me and meaner than me talk about New York, you should definitely watch this. Pretend it's a city. Um, Is
1: Fran Lebowitz Annie Lebowitz's relative?
0: Um, I don't think so. It would really surprise me if they were. Let me I'm actually let me check. I'm gonna check right now.
1: I'm curious. I'm asking the big questions.
0: Oh, no. And they, so they're not related and they spell their names differently. Fran Leibowitz oh. spells it with a W. Annie Leibovitz spells it with a B. Got so it. ultimately not <laughs> related, but that would be nice if they were. Um, okay. But anyway, so she's this writer, but they like go to the Brooklyn Museum and they just talk about different parts of New York life. And Martin Scorsese is like, what advice would you give to someone moving to New York now in their 20s? And she said, Bring money. (laughs) And I was like, that is so true. She's like, you're not going to have fun unless you have a shit ton of money. And I was like, Fran, I love this, and you should be a guest in the pod. So that's that's the new goal. Um, Yes. So obviously, well, okay, I just do want to give her credit. Even though she was really rich, and obviously that helps a lot, um, I would also say that she – advocated for herself and it was really important to her to see other people were not suffering the same way like it was a very self-fulfilling and self-focused thing like i think yeah, it's for great. Sure. very impressive shit yeah L- lover so
1: she kept kept up this reform in 1848 she went to north carolina and started doing the same sort of process of investigation and lobbying mm-hmm. um and her first attempt to bring reform to north carolina was actually denied but then after one of the board members' wife, who was dying, requested that Dorothea's plea was be reconsidered, the bill was actually approved. So, shout out to that random board member's <laughs> wife. She really made a difference. Um, and in 1849, the North Carolina State Medical Society was formed and an institution constructed in Raleigh that was, get this, called Dix Hill Asylum. They named it after Dix Dorothea Hill? Dix's... No, they n- Dix Hill classic, lol. But they named <laughs> this hospital after Dor- the Dix's abusive father because they wouldn't what name it after her. What in the her.
0: fuck? That isn't is that just so fucking classic?
1: And then a hundred
0: years later, they did. Was she like? The- was she like? His name is my name too, bitch.
1: I think it was literally like they weren't about to put a woman's name on a building, so they're like, you know what? The father should receive the <gasps> like credit of the female child.
0: That is messed up.
1: It's some classic North Carolina shit, but. To North Carolina's credit, 100 years later, they did rename the hospital <laughs> Dorothea Dix <Dicks> Hospital. <laughs> How big
0: of you? How, How big of big? you? It only took 100
1: years, but it is now, you can, if you're in North Carolina, check out Dorothea Dix Hospital. It's there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, she also worked on a bill for the benefit of the indigent insane, sane, uh, lobbying for legislation to set aside, like, 12 million acres of federal land to be used for the benefit of the mentally ill.
0: That um, so seems like a lot of acres. It does, <laughs> it does. 12 it does. million?
1: <laughs> yep. Yep, let me just double check I'm reading that right. It's not the perks. <laughs> no, it's 12.
0: It's actually it's it's 12 not and the a perks. quarter. 12 and a quarter. Yeah. Wait, I mean what was her plan? To just, like, let them heal outside and, like, work the they land? They were going to sell the,
1: the land to the states, and then the states would build and maintain their own asylums. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It was denied. Oh no! Actually, it was passed. The land bill was passed in both the House and the Congress. But in 1854, Franklin Pierce, the president at the time, vetoed it.
0: Uh, fuck Franklin Pierce.
1: Fucking Franklin Pierce. And he said that social welfare was the responsibility of the states and not like a government issue, which is like fuck off, Pierce. Sure. Um, so pissed off by that failure, she went back to Europe. She's like, honestly, fuck you, America. I'm out. She went oh. back and reconnected with the Rathbone family. And started doing her same sort of investigation lobbying act in Scotland. And Scotland at the time was using madhouses, which were, like, just pretty much one step up from prison. And her work in Scotland resulted in the formation of the Scottish Lunacy Commission to oversee reform. So, Mm -hmm. great. Great job, Dorothea. Uh, She also visited Nova Scotia to take care of their mentally ill and study them. And while she was visiting Sable Island, she actually assisted with a shipwreck rescue, which is just, like... So random. Wow. But one other thing you can add to her resume. And she <laughs> ended up conducting similar reform projects in the Channel Islands and Rome. And she, like, had a back and forth with the Vatican. And, again, she was super anti-Catholic, so there was some, like, awkward shit with the Pope. But ultimately... What do
0: you what do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean,
1: like, I, I can get into more detail, but...
0: I just, like, a little detail. Did she have beef with the Pope? Like, did he know about it? Was he gonna let her see She found all this, him?
1: like, dis repair and maltreatment so she saw an audience with pope pius the ninth and he was receptive to fixing to fixing the asylums and pretty shocked at it and ultimately thanked her for mm-hmm. what's up Stephen? oh it's okay sorry
0: i'm rebecca i have a boyfriend oh hello hello oh,
1: i'm keeping that in just because you're an asshole
0: <laughs> good people people need to know
1: All right, well, I think I must have made up the shit about her having beef with the Pope, because it seems like now that I look back at it, the Pope was ultimately cool with it.
0: I think that she, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. She has some general beef with the Pope. She doesn't like it Yeah, she had beef
1: with the Pope, but the Pope didn't have beef with her. So I guess, like, after he had his second (laughs) audience with Dorothea, he said that, quote, a woman and a Protestant had crossed the seas to call his attention to these cruelly ill-treated members of his flock. Oh. That, I, think
0: I just love the god complex. I mean, uh, the literal god complex of a, the literal
1: god complex. About Pope
0: yeah. referring to everyone as his flock. Everything Literally. the light touches is my flock. Okay, love that, and that, that's the energy I'm channeling for this weekend. Um, yeah, hell yeah. Okay, love that. So
1: after she, you know, fixed Italy's shit, she went back to America, and at this point, the American Civil War had broken out, and. Yo, girl Dorothea Dix was appointed the superintendent of army nu- of army nurses by the union. Yes. And she beat out Elizabeth Blackwell for that position. So oh, suck it, Elizabeth suck Blackwell. Suck it, Elizabeth Blackwell. <laughs> and she basically, like, didn't have the greatest career as the head of the nurses because she was, like, super strict and had like, some, like, crazy, well, I mean, not crazy for the time views. She wanted to make sure that the nurses weren't too sexy so people wouldn't be hitting on them. So she insisted that a all pioneer, of the nurses... A pioneer.
0: Like, literally a, a pioneer. She was out here being like, stop dressing slutty on Halloween during the war every day.
1: She's like, I don't <laughs> want you guys to be exploited by the men, the doctors, uh-huh. or the patients, so I'm only looking for nurses aged 35 to 50, no young women. They were all supposed to be plain. She, like, didn't <laughs> want to hire hot people. They were required to wear unhooped black or brown dresses with no jewelry or makeup unhooped.
0: The hoop is what the hoop is like. brings the boys to the yard. So she Just like a straight
1: up like shift dress. Like (laughs) love it. And then she often like would just casually fire nurses that volunteered that she hadn't personally trained or hired. Which like pissed everybody off. Yeah so she basically started all this beef with the army doctors because she wanted to be in control of everything and they wanted to be in control and it was just like a classic mix up. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the doctors didn't want female nurses in the hospitals and Dorothea Dix is like I've gone out of my way to make sure they're playing like what more do you want
0: (laughs) what more can i do there's a bunch of dogs in there
1: so eventually she was relieved of her position and she actually she resigned in august 1865 and that was partially due because she was like difficult to work with but also because like you had like rising stars like clara barton on the scene and they're like we're down with clara dorothea you're out what
0: what it's cruel. There's, there's no roles there's no for older women in our society.
1: No, truly. She was pushed out by, like, young, sexy Clara Barton who wore oh. her hoops. And Clara Barton and was like, care. ladies,
0: you want to wear a tight dress? You want to wear yeah. a hoops? <laughs> Go for it. It's fine.
1: Oh, and another problem was there was, like, hundreds of Catholic nuns that served as nurses, but Dorothea Dix didn't trust them. So she, like, undermined their ability and, like, was very, like anti-Catholic, anti-Catholic nurses. So basically she became a little too difficult and she was designed, and she did consider this like one of the the main failures of her career. She was like pretty butthurt that she was relieved of her position as basically Nurse nurse ratchet of the Union Army. Okay. But she was commended for her like even-handed caring for both the Union and the Confederate wounded alike. After the war concluded, they like formally recognized her service and she was rewarded with two national flags, which is nice, I guess, even though she was somewhat fired.
0: Mm -hmm. and somewhat fired
1: (laughs) so she again like suffered from another depressive issue and she ended up going back to new jersey where she spent the remainder of her life in a specifically designed suite in the new jersey state hospital so she's like if i'm going to be mentally unwell i'm going to do it in my suite in a hospital that was funded because of my reform what's up she died on july 17th uh, 1887 wow and is buried in Cambridge. She never married, never had any kids, just devoted her Ugh, life to me either. <laughs> reform. You'd love to see it. Yeah, you love to see yeah, it. You love so to she see it. ultimately founded 32 hospitals oh, and influenced the creation of two others in Japan, of all places. So this was like, I think this was somebody that I always assumed was very much just an American figure, but she really had like a wide-reaching influence, yeah. international influence,
0: and she took ideas from the continent and, like, brought them home. Yeah. Being like, you yeah. know what? They get they get fresh air in I mean, house. that's a
1: manifest destiny. It's a manifest destiny of ideas. So uh-huh. I think that she – but, again, somewhat a problematic figure. Definitely racism running rampant. She believed that mental illness uh, was related to conditions stemming from being an educated white person, not minorities, which is just full stop not true.
0: Wait, so she was like, you can only be mentally ill if you're educated and white?
1: Yeah, pretty much, Yeah. I mean, so not great.
0: Okay, okay, that's really interesting. Like, what a way to think. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, though she was, you know, technically on the Union side, it definitely seems like she wasn't necessarily a huge abolitionist or believing in like equality of of whites and blacks at all. But you know, again, these older figures are problematic anyway you cut it. But I think if we. Put on our history lens, we can see that she did a lot of good and it was an important figure.
0: And she seems like someone who, like, might be literally the first person to be breaking down stigmas regarding mental health. Like, the fact that the verbiage didn't even exist back then to be like, she went to Europe because she was going crazy. Right. It's, like, it's good for her.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the most interesting thing of this is that there's not a definitive report on her. And that it's just sort of, like... Yeah, she was unwell, vaguely. What it mm-hmm. like, seems pretty clear to me, like she had a lot of childhood trauma mm-hmm. and was displaced a lot. And it seems like that would absolutely result in some sort of depressive yeah. disorder. And I feel like being
0: head nurse during the Civil War would also give you a lot of trauma. Right, like, right. So, <laughs> so I, I can see why she wanted to retire to New Jersey. And
1: to kidding. her just like private suite. But in, New Jersey, Jersey, Jersey is still
0: a New Jersey. Y- you yes. know, I'd rather be dead in New York than alive in New Jersey. Wow, there's a bumper sticker. <laughs> I mean, New, New Jersey's actually going to take a lot of heat in this episode with what's coming. Oh up. boy,
1: <laughs> you might as well take it away because my second perker set's kicking in, and I'm uh.
0: Okay, Rebecca, uh, I just want to say. Oh, and what we didn't say is that one of the reasons Rebecca chose her is because it's Women's History Month, so we're gonna be tr- we're gonna be trying to highlight some you know strong independent women this month. Um, so great job, Rebecca, and genuinely, you did more research and a better job than I do all the time, <laughs> sober well, that's with not all my faculties and Wikipedia at my behest. It's, oh.
1: like, so on brand that I'm absolutely drug addled and in pain, and I do better <laughs> research than you do, but your IDs are always better. Well, so it's irritating. like,
0: it's like I said, I want to meet you at your level. I am drinking hard alcohol instead of wine today, and I also...
1: You're the real hero of this and story, and I blur. and I
0: researched like a drunk person, like a, like a person on painkillers. Like that's how I researched for this. Wow.
1: So.
0: Everyone, um, what I'm going to share with you all today is the story of the Hindenburg disaster. Oh boy! And I mean, as Rebecca pointed out, apparently I'm very into aviation disasters. As how did this happen? Like, I Challenger don't. Disaster. Now Hindenburg disaster. Okay, I'll tell you this happened because it's worth noting that yeah, this we is need a, some context. This is a literal. This is a listener request, and it came up because my friend. Like my group me of all my friends from college, you are just talking about something really random, you know, the state of the world, you know, is China listening to us, stuff like that, serious stuff.
1: Just like you know, casual friend chat.
0: And my friend Balls well, cuts in. Sorry, her name her name's Annabelle, but we call we we heard we her name's Annabelle, but we call her Anna Balls, and then now we just call her Balls. <laughs> and Got sometimes it. she's like, Hey, can you just not call me that in front of my elderly parents? And we're like, Absolutely not, Balls. <laughs> Get <laughs> over here. Um. So anyway. Okay. So Annabelle texts and she's just like, hey guys, random, sorry to interrupt, but like, is anybody else really into blimps? <laughs> and we're like, what? And then she literally takes it, like she lives in California. It's like a picture of the ocean. And she's like, I was just on a work call and I got called out for not paying attention because there was the most beautiful blimp drifting by. <laughs> so she's just like, does anybody else just get like breathtaking by blimps? Like, has anybody been in a blimp? Do you know how to get in I have never blimp? given a blimp
1: a single thought until but, this moment. But I
0: also feel like it's probably more common on the West Coast. Like I can't like I I don't know if I've ever seen a blip in the sky. Have you?
1: No. Absolutely <laughs> not.
0: But Annabelle was like, yeah, I was like, went right out onto my balcony, was like staring at the blimp, being like, I really want to go on one. And and then we were all kind of talking about blimps, and she was like, this is an official request, like, please do an episode on the Hindenburg disaster. And at first glance, I almost had to text her back and be like, Annabelle, I did the preliminary research, and like, it's just not interesting enough to tell people about, like, it's just a blimp that exploded. But... It's actually really interesting because there's a lot of like there's a ton of undertones about like foreign policy and things that were happening at the time that were kind of exacerbated by the Hindenburg. So
1: let's get into it.
0: Let's get into it. What I had no idea was that blimp travel (laughs) used to be, like, the way to travel. Come on. No, like, I'm not kidding. Like, it was literally, like, if you were rich and you didn't want to be on, like, a White Star Line cruise with all the Pavos and you would just want to be in, like, a spacious luxury blimp, like, floating lightly above in the air, um, yeah, like, that's what you would do instead. So it's kind of, like, snobby people that didn't want to be with, like, you know, the Jack Dawson's of the world on the Titanic would, would blimp over. And they would just, you know, and you'd, and you'd blimp around. And, and it was the—and the craziest thing is that it was the fastest way to travel. Airships were the fastest way to travel in this time when this happened. This is in 1937. So this is literally faster to cross the Atlantic on a blimp. And what freaks me out about the blimps is that they're, like, really low. Like, they're one of the smoothest rides. They're apparently significantly smoother than planes because— um, they stay so low that they're, like, kind of below all the atmospheric pressure and, like, the clouds and shit that makes planes have turbulence. So they literally glide over, like, so it was, like, a very posh thing to do, like, in Europe to be like, oh, we're we're blimping this summer, (laughs) like... Jesus like you literally be like no but it was like the pictures i'm gonna put some on instagram i had no idea it's like you've seen pictures of the like goodyear blimp the hindenburg yeah yeah yeah. it's like you would never think that inside there's like a state dining room and like a smoking lounge and like every single passenger has like a gorgeous suite that's like basically the titanic so so anyway so that's my pitch for our production company we get james cameron on the phone, <laughs> and we say, "Let's do Titanic without all this stuff, <laughs> without without oh, all the wow. class b- warfare." I was just thinking we get Elon on
1: the line and start like blimp travels by blimping. Tesla.
0: Well, do you ever watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt.
1: oh uh, yes. Well, love there's that. well,
0: there's like a recurring joke in like one of the later seasons that like rich people blimp everywhere, but there's like no way to control how like, what time they'll arrive because of the weather. So they're like, oh, his blimp got a good headwind, so we'll see him tonight. Like, Julian's, <laughs> Julian's blimp is getting in later. Anyway, so it's like, blimping was, like, the way to go. It's such a like, silly word. Well, blimp. you wouldn't say blimping, and you wouldn't really even say blimp. They said Big air, blimping. They said airship at the time. and I, Oh, even and better. That's so I'm, steampunk. And I'm pretty sure that blimp is – a german word and that's why we say it i mean i'm i'm just basing on the fact that blimp sounds like a german as fuck word Um, ah blimp blimp but so anyway so it's like you wouldn't know it but like the really rich way to to like live your life was to just blimp around and again this is before commercial air travel with planes so this was the only way to see like sweeping vistas of all these beautiful european cities like going over like the skyline of new york it's like it was blowing people's minds like that was their first time seeing all this shit from above, like before air travel was widely available. So this was a super elite thing. So it's like a lot of people would cross the Atlantic. And and, and the crazy part is you're like close enough to see people. It's like when you're landing a plane in the last five minutes, like that's how low to the ground glimpses are. So you could like see the peasants in the field like when you're going over Germany and stuff. But so the craziest thing is that, um, so this happens in... So this blimp, the Hindenburg, it successfully completed thirty around the world trips with just super rich German people. So Hindenburg, obviously a German-sounding word, it was all it was a German crew, German captain, almost exclusively German people. But so the crazy thing is that it's also a um, it's it's Germany in 1937. So there's Nazis, there's swastikas on the extra and the on the outside of the Hindenburg isn't that crazy it's like it's it's already burning and like the videos you see of it but it was like a German plane with like a bunch of German ass Nazis on it so we don't have to feel that bad that was my that was my big takeaway was I was like wow I had no idea that like this was a really sad disaster yeah they really don't
1: include the uh Nazi iconography in the drawings you see in history books
0: (laughs) they really they really don't So anyway, so they, so the Hindenburg, it was like airship, like it was like a Zeppelin. That was what they called it. It was like, you know, like the way we would say a 737, like the Hindenburg was a Zeppelin. So it opened its 1937 season by completing a single round trip passage from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in late March goes around the world all the way around like and 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 it's like there's rich people on these planes they want to like dip down into the cities kind of see it then go back up like keep blimping along so it had already circumnavigated the globe once that year so after that because it's a German company it goes back to Frankfurt Germany that's where they keep it and if you guys don't know Frankfurt is a very like industrial city and a lot of like aircraft during World War II is produced there so this is kind of during the period that that's wrapping ramping up so, on the evening of May 3rd, on the first of ten round trips between Europe and the United States, it leaves from Frankfurt, and basically they're using, like, the air winds and, like, the curvature of the Earth, so... And, I mean, flights still do this. You're
1: getting into this. You're getting deep.
0: <laughs> I got, yeah, I know. I, I'm getting arguably too Come for deep. the
1: history, stay for the physics lesson. Stay
0: for the physics l- I mean, I'm literally, like, you know, like, the curvature of the Earth. Um, but, you know, I, I mean... If you're flying from Europe today, though, you would still do this. It's, like, Germany. Then you go over the English Canal, and they, like, dip down to see London. Then you go up towards Greenland and, like, see Greenland. And then you, like, do a hard L and follow that downstream wind all the way to New York. And, like, that's still the flight path of, like, inter-Atlantic flights, basically. I mean, I guess. (laughs) I'm not a pilot, but that's what I learned this afternoon. So, anyway so they're doing this and this is again the fastest way so there's strong headwinds this whole journey that kind of its progress but like cannot stress this enough this is still a smoother ride than you would get on a transatlantic flight at any time um, but the atlantic crossing of the hindenburg was otherwise unremarkable until the airship crosses the atlantic so it took off may 3rd this is may 6th so they've been in the air for four days just bopping around
1: I can't believe these things like just stay up for that long.
0: I know it's literally insane. We're going to talk a little more about the design of the ships in a second. Yeah. I
1: want to know what the inside is like.
0: But so many of the passengers with tickets to Germany um, were so a lot of people were like just doing the tour of Europe. Then they were going to land in New York and then go back to Germany because they had um, which is interesting. They had tickets to attend the coronation of King George and Queen Elizabeth in London the following week. Like this is right before Queen Elizabeth's dad became the king. Um, so yeah, so they were literally like, it was all these like hot to trot fancy people that were like, oh, I just wanted to like do a little transatlantic journey and fine dining before the coronation. Um, so anyway, so to get into like the structure of the ship a little bit, um, before we talk about the crash, like, okay, so I always thought that helium was the reason it exploded. And this is where it gets really interesting. That's actually not true. So it, so helium was actually a lot a lot safer for blimps and but the thing is and it was more expensive harder to produce and this is where it gets really interesting it was pretty much like 95 percent of it was manufactured in the united states so in 1937 we already had all these trade tariffs against germany because of how fucked up hitler was and like shit that was starting to go down so we were refusing to export our helium to a german company and that's why they used hydrogen, which is crazy. so hydrogen's cheaper easier to make and it doesn't require trade with you know with the free lo- with the free world <laughs> unlike the Lavens realm you know <laughs> so of they, course. so literally so they used hydrogen on this German plane and so basically it was like a casing on the outside that was really intense then there'd be like a full-on chamber of hydrogen which makes it rise. And then inside were, like, all these crazy-ass staterooms. Like, I'll post some pictures on Instagram, but it was very much, like... In the same vein of, like, first class on the Titanic, like, everybody had, like, a six suite. Like, there was... The craziest part is there's a smoking room. There was, like, a smoking room that was, like, off a little bit and, like, kind of not near any of the vents that went to the hydrogen. And when you would leave the smoking room, there would be, like, an attendant there would be, like, hey, you really can't smoke anywhere else on this blimp. <laughs> but other than that, like, you were allowed to chill. So, anyway, they are ending up with this amazing journey, you know, whatever, whatever. And there's kind of really strong headwinds when they're coming into New York. And the plan was always to land in Lakehurst, New Jersey, which is a little south of New York. There's a bunch of airfields there. It's an industrial wasteland. What's up, New Jersey? Come for me. And mm-hmm. um. so anyway, so there's literally, like, it was blimping along over Manhattan, like, you know 30 minutes before this all goes down like everybody was like oh check it out like they were getting you know like an incredibly exclusive like to see manhattan from the sky is something that you could only do if you were super super rich so everybody on the plane is loving it um they had just passed over boston earlier in the morning and um they were like pumped to be back on mainland um so there was poor weather conditions over manhattan so the captain was kind of like oh you know whatever like we're going to wait for the weather to clear. I'll just like circle over New Jersey for a while while these storms pass. Sure. Um, so then he goes back to Lakehurst, and this is like. 6 to 12 hours after they were supposed to land. But, like, honestly, for a blimp <laughs> that just crossed the Atlantic? Like, a 12-hour window seems fine to me. Um, but anyway, it's it's less time to prepare the airship for landing and to prepare for its scheduled departure back to Europe, but whatever. The public was informed they would not be permitted at the mooring location during its stay at the port. So there's just randomly, randomly happens to be a reporter, that like, a person with a camera there. So anyway... It starts in about 30 seconds. Basically what happened, I won't go into like the semantics of it as much, but basically like the outer thing like ripped open so there was hydrogen pouring into the air that was like, wouldn't have been that dangerous even because they were landing anyway. So it's like, all right, we don't even really need it. But because of the storm, the air was so electrically charged um, that it kind of like caused Lightning or what? Not lightning, but like you know, electrically charged air made it catch fire. So the planes, so the Hindenburg starts, the back starts going on, and the crazy part is like the captain is like, hey. Back six crew people, go to the front. Let's even out the weight. I'm like, I don't ever want to be on an aircraft where the weight needs to be evenly distributed, and that's the difference between us dying or not. Like, I don't like that. This is around 7 p.m. Um, it starts burning the hull. There's 12 crew members in the, in the bout. Nine of them burn up immediately. And they're really close to the ground. They're in the middle of landing. So a lot of the passengers survived and it, because they just jumped. Like, they were just like, all right, fuck it. I'd rather, like... Wait, I
1: didn't realize that. So there were
0: survivors? You're about to hear a lot about the survivors. Holy shit. So literally people jumped and depending on where they were in the plane, it was like totally which section of the plane you were on that determined whether or not you actually like lived or died. But the people that were in like a less on fire part of the train, tons of them jumped and like they were only like 40 feet above the ground at this point when it was really going down. So, like, a lot of them, like, made it. And um, even a couple of crew members lived, which is crazy. And the fucking captain lived. Oh, my God. So, did anyone die? He didn't go down with a ship. Well, this is what's crazy. So, it caused 35 deaths, 13 passengers. So, there were 36 passengers in all, and they all had their own, like, amazing suite. Like, they're, you know, like, maybe some of them are couples, but there's, like. So, this
1: was swanky.
0: Oh, you know, no, I like cannot stress this enough how swanky it was, and it was literally like people that didn't even want to be around the Pavos of like a, a cruise line. Like they were like, like I, all I'm hearing here is this
1: sounds more comfortable and like safer than airplanes. Yes,
0: it and it really was. Well, that's so that's the crazy thing. But so at the end of the day, the accident caused of the 97 people on board, 36 passengers and 61 crewmen, only 35 people actually died out of yeah, 97. It seems like –
1: Everything I thought about this is a lie. I thought exactly. like hundreds of people and, and, died in the And like didn't a you also think inferno? it was like
0: a, didn't you also think it was a bunch of Americans and not just a bunch of Nazis? Like yeah. I had no idea. Um so basically there's um so thirteen passengers and twenty two crewmen die. Everybody else is either like on fire, terribly injured, or like jumped from thirty feet. So like obviously they they, they got their shit wrecked. It was there They got some
1: broken clavicles up they in there. They got some
0: broken clavicles up in there for sure. It was there, it was their it was their tree moment. But anyway, what's really crazy is that blimp travel was so popular among this elite. And like there had been a couple of pretty bad accidents. Like there was an American one where 73 people died like over the Atlantic. It just crashed. And another one where one crashed and his was landing and like maybe even 100 people died. But like. It didn't deter anyone from blimping. Like, everybody was still into it. But the crazy thing, the big difference is that this happened to be film. And this was really, like, what do you think about the inception of, like, World War II propaganda and, like, the shit that plays before movies, how they would have newsreels and be like, oh, we're just checking in. Like, FDR is taking on Hitler. So this is when this first became popular, right prior to World War II. Um, So there would still be newsreels. And because they had, like, a moving image of this of this airship exploding and it was such terrifying, crazy shit where you could see the gas just lighting on fire and it like almost looks like an atomic bomb from far away. That freaked everyone out way, way, way more than sure. the actual fatalities of others. Like you could just hear that in And I mean, it's kind of like the way when you fly now so and you like, hear like once every five years, a commercial flight goes down and you're kind of like, okay, whatever. Like
1: that's not how I feel about it, but holly. I mean,
0: it's definitely not how I feel about it. I, I have to sit, I have to stay awake during all flights in case the captain needs me to take <laughs> take the reins. Which is, I realize, psycho, but whatever. Um, But yeah, so basically this instantly ends blimp travel and like airship travel.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I knew about the Hindenburg was like it shut down all of blimp travel for good. But having heard the details, I'm like, did it really need to be shut down? Could I be traveling oh, it's to definitely. casually could, in a blimp? You right could now? be
0: blimping away. And, and that was another thing I told Annabelle. Like we, we all did some light research and like you can go, there's like blimp tours you can go on and apparently they're quite lovely and like every year my college friends, we all pick a word for our year that we want you to find our year and like try to get like deep with it like my word for this year is creation and annabelle's word was discovered and i was like brb i'm changing your word to blimp because she was like i just really want to see the inside of a blimp this year so we are really really hoping that annabelle gets inside a blimp and and hopefully this this has reassured her that there's not going to be a hindenburg s disaster if she goes on one but it's just interesting like I mean, I didn't really think about or like blimps until Annabelle told me that it is like an ongoing thing in her life, but it is kind of like I feel like still has a place in the American imagination, like at those football games where like the Goodyear blimp goes over and stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. yep. So, yeah, totally. Wow. Totally. Um, so yeah, that's all I really have. And wow,
1: justice for blimps! Let's bring back blimp travel. let like a smear just, campaign.
0: Justice for blimps, and also I'm like kind of impressed by the technical terms that is yeah. throwing out there. Like not to to my own goddamn horn, but I feel like I learned a lot about blimps today, and I was. I able feel like you
1: could build your own blimp. At I this could point.
0: build my own blimp, and I'd use helium.
1: Should <laughs> we have live shows in a blimp? that feels oh, right my,
0: well okay but i mean my biggest takeaway though that i had no idea is like that like blimps were the height of fucking luxury because on the outside it looks like it'd be like yeah, look it looks like it'd be like an aircraft carrier like you know like those yeah. weird ones where so you're, you're like
1: industrial are there windows on blimps or is it just like a oh a there
0: balloon? are there are windows for the rich people and literally it talks about this in just one of these documentaries i watched. but when they were designing these blimps during this era they literally were gonna have like sun porches where you could like walk outside and oh, like no. because again you're low enough down that like the oxygen's not thin enough. Like you could literally just sit there and watch Everything rolling over and like it just being real, like it sounds epic, but they were like, you know what? We don't want to get sued if people, Damn. <laughs> you know, fall out. But like, but literally, enough, it's but- low enough in the atmosphere that you could hypothetically. So, yeah, there were windows you could open the windows if you wanted to, and literally, you could sit outside in an, in an alternate universe where people were being less cautious.
1: Well, damn! I learned a lot. Who knew?
0: I know who knew, and who knew that we think of it as this huge disaster, but it was a bunch of like yuppie Nazi assholes. Yeah, like who
1: cares? <laughs> who like thirty-five yappy Nazi assholes. Should all be we should all
0: yeah. be blooming. We should all be blooming. So, justice for the Hindenburg. Justice for. And Annabelle. like, shout out to Balls for shout, shout out to Balls for this ID request. And I gotta say, I didn't think it was gonna be that interesting, but once you're into it, you're into it. I'm, I'm, I'm balls deep in it, if you will. Wow! 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 wow. Wow! 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 That's a great, great conclusion. And we'll be
1: back next week with even more drugs in my system.
0: Oh my (laughs) god! I'm so excited. Okay, Rebecca, be careful. I will. I'm a doctor.
1: I'm a doctor. How dare you?
0: I am. The doctors were so annoyed at me (laughs) because
1: I was literally like being a doctor, and they're like, "You suck. You're not a real doctor." Just. Just to clarify
0: for the folks at home, Rebecca has no medical training or expertise.
1: But in my mind, I do.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, everybody have a great week. Um, Keep those requests coming as niche as they may be, Annabelle. And have a great day. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Manifest Destiny a millennial take on the American millennium. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a positive review on your preferred podcast platform, but only if you enjoyed it. Looking for a history fix in between episodes of Manifest Destiny? Be sure to follow us on Instagram at ManifestDestinyPod for exclusive content and quality memes.